still fighting our way through winter, aren't we? I hope this is the last gasp. <laughs> we've, had, uh, we've had plenty of it for this year. God is good? All the time. All, right. uh, I just wanted to mention something to you. This morning I got a phone call from Christy Cordell, who had just been in uh, communication with uh, Kimmy. In, she pronounced the name of the town and all. Um, tomorrow, uh, when they get, they're asleep now. This is their sleep time there. But when they get up in the morning, they will go to, um, I guess they're going to the orphanage where the child is. And they begin the process of bringing her home. And uh, what they have found out is that the physical condition of Kinsley is much more fragile than what uh, it's all coming. <laughs> it's all come crushing down on them. And uh, they sent word back through Christy for us to have a, a prayer for Kinsley today. And so I'm just going to ask you to please bow your head. We'll take some time here to pray about this. Father, uh, you're a great and awesome God. You are our God. You've made yourself known to us. We are so thankful that we can come to your throne of grace boldly. We can ask for whatever we need. Father, uh, we come to you now to ask a, a special blessing upon Kinsley. I pray to her, Father, that uh, dis despite the fact that she is fragile, that there are a lot of things that, uh, about her that uh, are hard to deal with. I pray that you will make Kimmy and Aaron and that family equal to every challenge along the way. I pray that you'll bring them home safely. I pray that when they get here, that, Father, there will be things that can be done for Kinsley that will, uh, that will improve her health and make it possible, for, Lord, for her to have a, a life here that is uh, fulfilling and uh, glorifying to you. And, uh, Father, I, I just pray your blessing on, on this family as they make their way back here to the States. Thank you for being with them up to this point. Thank you for every blessing you've given. And help us always to remember to tell you thanks. But uh, we're just full of requests, Father. We, and we don't know where else to ask because this is big. We make this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Uh, just want to say one word about our home groups. Uh, our, the last few weeks have been anything but typical. And that uh, has affected our home groups. I think it's affected... Uh, everything. Uh, our attendance is up and down, sideways, and everywhere else. And um, we have a couple groups that are rather small. And if you would like a group uh, to be a part of, maybe your group is overflowing. I know Dave Deacon could use a few more. If you check that chart back there, the attendance chart, you can kind of get a feel, or maybe check the pads. You kind of get a feel for the size of the groups. And just, uh, you know, um, Balance them out if you can. I, I know that would be much appreciated. We need about uh, 10, say 8, 10, 12, something like that. As, that makes a really nice group. And if we can get to 14, 15, 16, that may be even a little better. But when you start hitting uh, 18, 20, 22, 24, that gets uh, kind of uh, crowded in, uh, in most people's homes. Some people can handle that, but not everybody. And Anyway, just help us balance those groups out a little bit and uh, be mindful of uh, helping us form them. All right. What is balance? I could give you the dictionary definition of balance, but I'm not going to do that. What I want to give you are some examples of balance because sometimes uh, that is more instructive <laughs> 
than giving you the technical definition like from a dictionary. Balance, we know balance when we see it. That's what keeps the high wire walker on the wire as he walks from one pole to the next. That's balance. Balance is what keeps the gymnast in position as he does a, a handstand on a bar that's 15 feet off the ground. Balance is what keeps a tire running smoothly down the highway at 70 miles an hour. Balance is what keeps your washing machine in one spot on the spin cycle. You know, all you have to do is get, uh, get the overalls over there on one side, man, and you think your whole house is going to come down when that, that washing machine gets to dancing around. But balance, uh, you know, ordinarily the washing machine spins them out to roughly uh, where they're balanced out. And uh, anyway, that's what balance is. And it doesn't take very much to kind of throw things out of balance. But we definitely know when things are out of balance, and we know when things are in balance. Now, I, I'm saying all this about balance because what I want to talk about this morning is spiritual balance. I think there is such a thing as a spiritual balance. And that's what keeps a, a Christian running smoothly as, as the wheel rolls down the highway of life. That what, that's what keeps the Christian located in the center of God's will. And when we get out of balance, uh, bad things begin to happen. There's a lot of vibration, a lot of commotion. And when we get out of balance, as I say, we suffer, and sometimes the people around us will suffer too. But there is such a thing as spiritual balance, and I think that's something that we need. There's two kinds of, when you use that word balance, there's actually a couple, couple different things you might have in mind. Balance it can refer to like, almost like a scale, you know, or a teeter-totter. Uh, when you get things that are roughly the same weight, you can see how the balance works. You add a little weight here, and it kind of balances out, you know. But balance can also refer to what's needed for a wheel to keep it from vibrating down the way. So the teeter-totter idea, the scale idea, maybe we'll, t we'll talk about that next week. But today, I just want to talk about balance like from the standpoint of a wheel that's rolling along the way. And I want you to think of your Christian life kind of like a wheel that makes one revolution a week. And that's not moving very fast, uh, not in, in our way of thinking. But um, that, that is basically what I'm talking about here. Every week, our lives make one revolution. We have 168 hours. And balance has to do with what we do with that time. How do we use that time? I think we have to be careful to not let one spot on the wheel get too heavy or maybe another spot on the wheel become too light. And if we do, then we start to feel the vibration and things start to get weird and we begin to suffer and maybe the people around us suffer. There are some things that have to be on the wheel for Christians to maintain some kind of balance in life. And you have to have the right proportion of each one of those things to keep things running smoothly. I'm going to give you seven things here just to think about here this morning that could be on the wheel of, of life. I think these seven are, are pretty important. There, there might be, uh, maybe we could add another seven or another ten or whatever. There's a lot of things that maybe ought to be on the wheel. I'm just going to mention seven. And I think those things roughly have to be in some kind of a balance for us to roll down the road here. The first one I'm going to mention is, he, is his worship of God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, 
the Hebrew writer says, he, he, talking to Christians here, he says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, the assembling he's talking about isn't necessarily a worship assembly. The early church met for things other than worship. They met for fellowship. They met for teaching. They met for, I don't know, I suppose there were all kinds of things. We have lots of things that happen here at the church that are not necessarily about worship. But I know this. I know that verse at least includes the idea of coming together for, the, for worship, the worship of God. The, we know the early church did. They came together every first day of the week. They remembered the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through the uh, partaking of the elements, which we've done here already. And there were songs, and there, was, there were prayers, and there was teaching and all this. And that was the worship of the, uh, of the early church. And anyway, I'm saying this to say that there's no doubt that God wants us to spend some time in worship of him together. I know worship is something that can happen as an individual. I mean, I'm going to put all the qualifiers in here. But I, I have no doubt that God wants us to get together and spend some time in worship with him. I don't think you can neglect this part of life as the wheel makes its revolution without things beginning to get out of balance and you start to feel vibration. So let's, let's put that one down. That, that definitely has to go on the wheel. Let's, uh, number two, we could talk about the study of God's word. So here's 2 Timothy 2.15. Paul says this to Timothy. He says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed Rightly dividing the word of truth. So Paul is telling Timothy. Now Timothy was a preacher. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. I have to do what, what, Tim, what Paul told Timothy to do. But what he's telling Timothy to do is probably something that every Christian needs to be involved in. Uh, that is the study of God's word. You know, taking it in. There's no doubt that God wants us to be in the word. To learn it. To digest it. To meditate on it. To think about it. To spend some time. In Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, this is. One of my favorite psalms this is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, what does he do? He meditates day and night. In other words, he may not have his nose in, in the scroll or in the book or whatever, but he's internalized enough of this that while he's walking around just doing what he normally does, he's thinking thinking about what he read, maybe yesterday or the day before or earlier in the day, out of the Word of God. He meditates on it. And then he says what happens to the guy that meditates. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. Man, a tree by water, man, that's, that's the best a tree could hope for. A tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. So there's a, um, in, in this study of, of God's word, uh, that's definitely something that needs to be, and we meditate on it. And in another place, the Bible tells us the word is like our food. Without it, we're going to get weak, and we're going to eventually starve. And so Matthew 4 and 4, this is Jesus talking, quoting from the Old Testament. He, he says this to the devil, the temptation, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he compares the word of God to like bread. He says, and he's telling the devil, he said, man, what do you mean turn these rocks into, into bread? He said, that, that's not, uh, that's secondary for me. Man shall not live by bread alone, but here's how we live. 
by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so Jesus kind of talks about, uh, about the word as if it were food. And, and this is what I know. You cannot neglect this part of life and stay in balance. Things begin to vibrate. The wheel begins to whop, whop around. Your, your washing machine starts to dance around the utility room and bang into the walls and everything else. Let's put prayer on that wheel. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Uh, certainly the Bible teaches us there to be involved in prayer. And there's no doubt that God wants us to be regular in prayer. That would be part of being in balance. What well, says pray without ceasing? I, I, I'm going to come back to this in a minute. Obviously, you cannot be on your knees praying all the time. But there is a kind of prayer that you can maintain in your heart, in your mind, as you go through your day. Just a, a, a continuous prayer where there's a conversation that's happening between you and God about what's happening, about who you're talking to, where you're going, what you're doing, what's bothering you. And in that way, I, I think Christians can uh, keep up with this idea of praying without ceasing. But there's no doubt that God wants us to be regular in prayer. That'd be part of being in balance. The Lord's Prayer teaches us that prayer is a daily activity. And when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he told them to pray like this. He says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And in that, little, in that part of the prayer, Jesus was teaching us that this was a prayer that would be prayed on a daily basis. God wants to hear from us on a daily basis. So give us this day, today is Monday. Give us this day the bread we need for Monday. And on when Tuesday rolls around, give us this day on Tuesday the bread we need for Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And Friday. It, it, it's a daily sort of thing, and we find that out from, from reading the Lord's Prayer. So we've got the worship of God. We've got the study of his word. We've got prayer. I, I, another thing we want to put on this wheel that I think is necessary is uh, what I'll call ministry or service. In James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, James talks about how faith is, cannot be theoretical. It cannot be something that just stays in your heart or in your head. It has to get out. It has to be expressed in some kind of a, uh, in some kind of a way of serving or maybe taking care of a need that you see. So he says, he's talking about faith. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food... And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. Yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. And so here's another one of those things that needs to go on the wheel. Uh, and needs to have some place as the wheel rolls each week in order to maintain balance. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 the Apostle Paul says this, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, but especially to those of the household of faith. And so he just, in, another, in other words, he's saying the same thing that James was. He says, you see somebody need needs something, go help them. Take care of it. Especially if they are a brother or sister in Christ. And so there's no doubt that God wants us to be active in our service to other people. It's, uh, it, there's something important, something necessary about using our faith to serve. And if we don't, then it doesn't take long for things to start to get out of balance, for the vibration to set up. 
and the pounding and all the stuff that happens when something's out of balance. Now let's uh, kind of shift gears here. I, I want to use the word family now for number, this would be number five. I want to use the word family. You know, the Bible doesn't say that we have to be married or have a family or have kids or anything like that. The Bible doesn't say that. But if you do, family is not something you can just put up on a shelf and take them down when you feel like it. it they're there. And so there are, uh, there are chapters in the Bible devoted to talking about family and what the obligations and what things need to be happening in the family. One of those places, one of the places I would ordinarily go to is Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6. And just right there, just bang, 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 in about six or eight verses, the Apostle Paul gives, what, uh, four, five, six, seven, and, and, and this is not all of them by any means, but several commands just in a row about what we do with family. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And so there it is. So the Bible doesn't say you have to have a family, but if you're going to have one, you've got to take some time. It takes some time in the wheel as it rolls along in your life for you to connect with them, for you to do, uh, you know, to be involved with them, to serve them in some way or the other. And if you don't do it, you will find that your life gets out of balance real quick, that the vibration sets up. That the, that the washing machine starts dancing around in the utility room and you think your house is going to fall down. And then let's add to this, number six, it would be work. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, Timothy says this. He says, if any man provides not for his own family, and especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Those are, those are strong words. <laughs> uh, if you're going to have a family, again, the Bible doesn't say you have to, but if you're going to have a family, then it's your responsibility to provide for that family. And that we're talking about job, J-O-B. We're talking about work. We're talking about doing something where you get together what's needed for, for those people that lives in your house, and, and you provide it for them. And that's one, another one of those things that goes on this wheel that rolls week by week, and we have to be careful about the balance. But let's suppose you, you don't have a family. Let's suppose you're just one of those uh, singles. You've decided to uh, live your life as a single. You still have a responsibility to work. This comes up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 10, 11, and 12. And, and this is where it's not so much about family as it is about taking care of yourself. Paul says this to members of the church at Thessalonica. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and to eat their own bread. And in just a few words, he said, take care of yourself. Don't expect other people to take care of you. And so we're talking about work again. We're talking about something that would produce uh, what you needed to, to sustain your own life, to take care of your own needs. Well, that's got to go on the wheel, too, as this wheel rolls along week by week. And then I want to just add, this is seven, and like I say, we could put maybe 10, 15, 20. I don't know. There's lots of things that might go on this wheel we're talking about. But I, the last one I want to put on the wheel is rest. Rest. 
In Mark chapter 6, verses 30, 31, 32, Jesus taught his disciples, the apostles, a really important lesson. I don't know if he would said it in so many words, but he taught this by example, if in no other way. They'd had a long, hard day, and this is at the end of the day, and Jesus and his disciples are exhausted. Now, there's still plenty of work to do. They're just people everywhere, people needing all kinds of help. And here's what it says. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. So Jesus and his disciples take off. There's a lot of people needing stuff. People needing things done. That miracles performed. Uh, help. They're needing. And, and Jesus and his disciples, just so cold-hearted, they just walk away. Because they needed rest. Jesus was teaching his disciples something about rest. I think he's teaching us. The command of, of rest, Sabbath rest, is part of the Ten Commandments. But it actually goes back before the time of Moses and Sinai. It goes all the way back to the, the, the seventh day of creation. And the command of rest is based on the fact that God rested on the seventh day. And so here's Jesus and his disciples. They're having, uh, they, they've got this, this divine mission that they're involved with. I mean, this is the most important work you could ever imagine, what Jesus and his disciples were doing. But they took the time to rest, to recharge, to be alone. Jesus was teaching his disciples and he was teaching us. And this all causes me to think this. I think there's something in the nature of people. I think we're designed to need rest. I remember uh, watching a little, uh, being in a seminar one time with Elmer Towns. This goes back years and years ago. I, he, he's been dead probably, I don't know how long. He might still be alive, I don't know. But he was the Sunday school guru. And he's the guy that come up with friend day and all those kind of things that you know, things that would help maybe a, a church to grow. But he had this thing. He said, this is the law of the fist. He says, your congregation cannot go full blast all the time. He says, if that's what you expect out of your people, you're, you're an idiot. And Elmer would say stuff like that. He said, I want you to put your fist out there, and I want you to bear down just as hard as you can. And he said, all right, keep it tight, keep it tight, keep it tight, keep it tight, keep it tight. Don't let up. He said, after about three or four minutes of this, he said, all right, now, are, are, how you feeling? <laughs> are you able to grip as hard now? Are you gripping as hard now as you were like two minutes ago, a minute ago, three minutes ago, whatever? He said, all right, you can keep it up here for another half hour, I suppose, and you can keep your hand out there, maybe. But he said, he said eventually the cramp set in, and you, your arm is going to be exhausted. You'll not be able to do another thing with your arm the rest of the day because you got this fist all balled up like this. He said, that's the way people are. He says, here's how it works. He said, you have your time and you, you bear down. He said, then you've got to let off. And he said, then you bear down. And then you have to let, let off. He said, that is the rhythm of life. That's how people work. And he said, so whatever you do with your congregation, whatever you do with people, understand, for all these big things that you got planned, you can't back them up back to back and expect everyone to be involved in it forevermore. He said, you're an idiot if you do. That's what Elmer said. 
I think he's, I think he's about right. Uh, but I think it's in the nature of people to need rest. We're not designed to go full bore all the time. And we're definitely out of balance. You're like, a, you're like a big flat place on a tire going down the highway, a heavy place on a tire uh, going down the highway if you don't put rest on there somewhere. Okay. So we got our, we got our seven things here. And let's go to the next slide. This will be slide 14. Let's just put that up there. There they are. Just seven things on the tire. And like I say, you could put who knows how many more things up there. But I just want to kind of get the idea of a tire, a wheel that had several points on it, things that uh, would make up our life as we just rolled week by week. I want to make a couple points about these, uh, about these areas, about these seven things we put up there. First of all, all these things are good and right. Every one of them. I showed you in the Bible where every one of those things is commanded. Every one of them. But no one of these things is to be done to the exclusion of any of the others. Got it? You hear what I'm saying? No one of these things is to be done to the exclusion of any of the others. They're all to be done. There's a time and a place for every one of these things on the wheel. And there has to be some proportion. There has to be a balance achieved somehow or the other. So let's just give you an example here. Uh, Prayers up there. We talked about prayer. But if I spent all my time praying, and I gave none of my time to my family, to my marriage, to my ministry, to my job, I think you could see that would probably be a disaster. And things would be way out of balance. My washing machine would be jumping all over the utility room. Or we could just go here with the idea of work. You know, work is is commanded. Uh, I have to provide for my family. I have to provide for myself. It's there. It's just right there in the Bible. But if I never take the time to worship or to rest or to connect with my family, then obviously I'm way out of balance. There's something. There's going to be problems with my wheel as it rolls along. And then, you know, we got worship up there. Well, worship's a great thing. What could possibly be wrong with worshiping? Going to church, being involved with, with church. But if all I ever get done as a Christian is worshiping God to the point that I neglect ministry, I neglect my family, I never rest, I don't have time to pray, I'm not into the Word, then obviously I'm way out of balance. My wheel's not going to roll very smooth. My washing machine's going to jump around all over the utility room. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1, the writer says something there that I think is pretty important. He says, there is an appointed time for everything. And there's a time for every event, every activity, every matter under heaven. There's a time and a place for, uh, you know, those seven things that we got up there. They got to fit on the wheel somewhere. And he's not talking specifically about, about those things. But I just think, you know, he said, you know, there's a time for everything. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, just a few verses after after, after this, he says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. You know, when, when you find the right place on the wheel and, and you give that, that thing, whatever it is, the emphasis that it really deserves, and, and, and you're able to get all the other things on that wheel and get them in the right proportion, the right location and all, 
Find that wheel runs smooth. It runs good. I mean, there's enough bumps on the road. There's enough bumps in life without making bumps on your own wheel. There's potholes everywhere. Why design a pothole? Why make a, a bump, a vibration on your own wheel? There's plenty of that already on the road. So that, that's the first thing I want you to see. All these things are good and right. They're commanded. But no one of these things is to be done to the exclusion of any of the others. Here's the second thing. We're talking about minimum competence in every area. All of us have strengths. All of us have gifts. All of us have things that we enjoy. All of us have things that we're good at. All of us have things that we'd rather do than not do. And things that we'd rather not do. And here's what I've noticed about people. And I, I say this about myself too. We tend to play to our strengths. We tend to play to the things that we're good at, that we enjoy, that we, uh, that's not hard for us. And we tend to minimize all the things that are you know, not so much fun or hard uh, for us. Maybe not for somebody else, but for us. And so we kind of push those things all off to the side. Balance comes when we become willing to work on areas that may be hard that maybe we're not so good at, that maybe, uh, you know, it's, you know, we've kind of pushed those things away. And the truth be told, we're like a wheel rolling down the road with a big, fat, heavy spot on it. How do you get rid of that? Well, there's some other things you could back off there and maybe start to work for what I call minimum competence in some other areas, the areas that you're not really interested in. That would be uh, uh, that's quite a concept. We have a couple chapters in our New Testament devoted to the idea of the interdependence of the body of Christ. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and there Paul compares the church to a body. And he says, you know, you got a toad, you got a, you got a hand, you got an eye, you got a mouth, you got, uh, uh, you know, he says, you need all these parts. And we, we go to that place, and, and, and Paul's making a point, and it, this is true. That all of us have strengths that once they are pulled together in the body of Christ, we, we do better that way than if we don't use our strengths. You know, we, we, we all go for our weakness and, and, and we kind of work with that and try to minister in those areas. Then, okay, I, I, see why that, I see why that doesn't work so well. And so 1 Corinthians 12, it, it's just all about that, that idea that, you know, you take your strength, you take your talent, you take what God has given you. And you use it for the benefit of the body and make the body uh, better and stronger. And the same thing happens in Romans 12. Uh, just a shorter version there. Just the middle verses of Romans 12. You get to the same idea of gifts and how it needs to be used for the body of Christ. But that's Paul talking to the church as a whole. The church functioning as a whole. Here's what I want you to see. Most of what Jesus and the apostles taught is not directed to the church as a body. It's directed to Christians as individuals. Most of it. I'm not. And we tend, to we tend to read it that way anyway. But most of what Jesus and the apostles taught us directed to individual Christians. So these seven areas that we're looking at up here are not things which you can pick the ones that are easy or you're good at and let somebody else handle the other stuff. You can't, say, you can't say, you know, I'm a great student of the word. I'm going to let someone else take care of my family. 
You can say, hey, I'm great, at, I'm great at taking a nap. I'm great at resting. I'll let someone else uh, do, do my prayer life for me. <laughs> uh, I, I'm great at work, man. I, I, I'm, 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 the, I'm the best thing that ever happened at work. But I'll just let someone else take care of that, uh, that worship thing for me. It doesn't work that way, does it? I mean, we, we all understand that. These are things that we have to do as individuals. It's not something that someone else can do for us so that we can all get together as a group and say, okay, you're a good worshiper, you're a good studier, you're a good prayer, you're, you're good at ministry service, you, you're good with families, you're good with work rest. Okay, let's get seven or eight of us here together. Okay, we're good now. Doesn't work that way, does it? We're all responsible to come up with what I'll call minimum competence in every one of these areas. You can't delegate this stuff. When mom was uh, raising us boys, I need to check and see. Okay, coast is clear. <laughs> All right, when mom was raising us boys, I thought Becky might be here. <laughs> when mom was raising us boys, uh, she, she did something that maybe some people would think is a little strange, but she expected us to learn how to cook and how to clean and how to do the wash, and how to hang out a wash, and waxing floors, running a buffer, running a sweeper, dusting, I hated that. And part of the reason she did this, she needed the help, number one, she expected us to help out. But part of the reason she did this, she would say, you know, when you get married and have your own family, there's going to be times when you're going to need to know how to cook. You need to know how to throw a load of wash in the washer. You're going to need to know this. You're going to need to know that. You know, this is going to be helpful stuff. You're going to need to. Now, you know, when I married Serena, I didn't tell her that I knew all this stuff. I kind of tried to keep that a secret. She found out. But um, it's true. It's good to have a minimum competence in areas like this. When I was a student in high school, I read a book. Uh, I was into science fiction, and so reading, reading science fiction, uh, you eventually come to H.G. Wells. He had a book out called First Men in the Moon. I remember reading that book. I, I cannot tell you uh, very much about that book, but there was one thing in that book that really just stuck with me, and that is when they, when the, when they landed on the moon. They were going to the moon. They landed on the moon, and th- there was no one there until they found this opening into the ground. And when they went down underneath the ground, they run into a civilization that had developed under the crust of the moon. And it was such an odd civilization because they were human in, in a lot of ways. They looked like human beings. But the first person they run into was some, this guy with this huge arm. I mean, just a regular body, but a huge arm. And then they run into someone who's come along with a little skinny, tiny body who had this big head. And then they run into somebody who had uh, 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 these huge eyes. And what had happened in this civilization is they they had specialized to the point, they had specialized the, the functions that each person in the civilization did to the point that that part of their body, that part of their personality or whatever, had become overdeveloped and the rest of them had shrunk down and looked, you know, spindly and small and out of proportion. 
And so uh, you could tell how they fit into society by looking at the part that was overdeveloped. And the thing was, in all other areas, these creatures, when they were all together, they were fine. But if you take them apart and deal with them as individuals, they were helpless. They were helpless. They had one thing they could do, and that was it. It's possible to be out of balance spiritually in this same way. I'm a superstar in this one area. (laughs) But I'm a disaster everywhere else. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? There's a few areas that are grossly overdeveloped and perhaps many areas where there's been no development at all and they basically have become helpless. All I'm saying we need to go at least for minimum competence. Now, this brings us to our scripture reading for the day, 2 Peter chapter 3, 17 and 18. This is where the Peter says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. And here's the part. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's those words right there. We talk about growing. Growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought of growing in grace as actually bringing your life into some kind of spiritual balance? That that would be a part of growing? I mean, when you think of growing, you think get bare, get stronger, get this, get taller, whatever. You know, that way, get smarter. We tend to think that way, but... Think of growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as maybe getting some spiritual balance in your life. Now, next week, I think we're going to talk about the other kind of balance. But for now, I just want you to visualize your life, spiritually speaking. And here's the questions. Is there a basic kind of balance there? Are there some spots that are way too heavy and some way too light? If you could visualize your spiritual self as a body, as a human body, is everything in proportion? Or are you one of these creatures dragging an arm about the size of a Mack truck along? But it's out of proportion to everything else. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 teaches us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Part of growth is developing a proper balance in our spiritual selves. Now, like I say, next week we come back and we'll talk about balance from another standpoint, another way. But definitely something to think about. To go for a minimum competence in a lot of areas that goes on the wheel. There's where all of us probably could grow and get into some things that we haven't dealt with in the past. If there's someone here this morning who's not a child of God, uh, this is an opportunity for you to come to confess your faith in Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins, to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You could be a Christian before you leave this place. And if there's someone here who's not a Christian, That's exactly what we want you to do. And we will rejoice along with the angels of heaven and God himself if you were to make that decision today.
Let's stand and sing if you need to respond. Please come.